0: Now. now, Real People, Real Opinions, Nighttime Talk with Niall Boylan.
1: Ireland's classic hits radio.
0: We always like to have a guest out at the end of the night, somebody who's has something interesting to talk about. And I, I suppose listening to Jason, you'd be wrecked even. <laughs> you'd be tired even thinking about it. But are you wrecked? Are you starting the year in debt and working two jobs? Well, stop. We need to stop working so much because we are burnt out. Well, that's according to one psychoanalyst, Josh Cohen. He believes we need stillness. Sounds good to me. He joins me now on the line. Josh, hi, how are you?
1: I'm well, thanks. How are you?
0: I, I need a lot of stillness, Josh. I work too much. I need a lot of stillness. That's what I need. I need. I just need. To, I've made my New Year's resolution this year that I'm going to take all the negative people out of my life. The people that cost me more work.
1: That's a very good start. Mm, mm. So are we all working too hard to pay debts? I think we are working too hard. Um, And of course, the immediate objection to any argument I make, which in a way is unanswerable, is that, well, if I'm in debt and I need the money and I need to make a living and I need to pay my bills, what choice do I have? Um, And I'm not making the argument that you simply erased reality from your life. Um, I'm not talking really about trying to change your whole reality. If what you have in front of you are all kinds of demands uh, that basically uh, concern your survival, mm-hmm. that's going to be very difficult.
0: Yeah, I know. Um, I know you've got a book out called "Not Working: Why We Have to Stop." Yeah, now, yeah. I, and you talk about burnout and all that, and we do get burnout, yeah. by the way, because sometimes I, I even feel it um, that you feel like you're on a kind of mouse wheel, and and, yeah. and and although you're looking forward to the weekend, you're thinking to yourself, "On Friday, I'm now looking forward when I'm not looking forward to going back on Monday, I'm back onto the mouse wheel again," and, and that's the way yeah. most people feel, isn't it?
1: I think so. And I think it's got a lot to do, of course, with the objective, real demands people have on our lives. But I think we can make some changes by just changing our internal setting, by not uh, imposing on top of the load of real working demands we have, all kinds of anxieties about what we should be doing. Mm. And I think that that's where we move from simply being very tired because we have so much to do and so many things to worry about to actually becoming burnt out. I think burnout is different from exhaustion or it's it's a kind of another quality of exhaustion in the sense that when we're burnt out, we feel really that we can't continue. We're in a state of coiled resentment um, about the, the level of demands that are on us. And Even if you like, something us tells us that we have to go on, that we don't have a choice. We actually close down and crash out. Mm. And it's not a restful state. It's not a pleasurable state. It's a kind of, I I would call it an enervated inertia, because you you feel it in your nerve endings. Your nerve endings feel at once dead and very, very overstimulated.
0: Yeah. And then, of course, burnout does lead to the physical aspect of exhaustion where you literally yeah. are doing too much and that takes a physical toll on your body, not just a mental toll on you.
1: That's right. And, and it can create a kind of zombie-like relationship, not only to your mind, but to your body. Your body starts working on autopilot and you start executing tasks um, in a way that are not reflected, are not thought about, um, I'm not talking about a pleasurable flow state where you're just doing things without thinking about them. I'm talking about something that feels much deader, where you're doing things without feeling, without pleasure, without investment. Mm-hmm. Um, one one of the interesting things about the history of the term burnout is that it, it was coined by um, uh, an American psychologist, um, Herbert Ellenberger. And w- w- one of the... Um, Interesting aspects of it is that it, it emerged from a, a long longitudinal study of the caring professions so this was about social workers and people in the medical professions and people in the caring professions who were deeply emotionally and personally invested in the work that they were doing, but found that the Bureaucratic demands and the sheer hours that they were working um, turned their passion into a kind of burning resentment. Mm. And uh, when you get into that state, what you previously took pride and pleasure in becomes instead a kind of cynical bitterness. And that's one of the sort of aspects that people often comment on about burnout, that it creates a a kind of weary, world-weary cynicism where because you once believed in so much and were disappointed, you now now start to feel cynical. How do you spot the signs?
0: Because I I was actually surprised when I seen some of your stats, by the way, that Mm -hmm. in the 2022 survey from the American Psychological Association, more than 50% of workers reported that they'd experienced burnout. So how do you, how do you spot the signs or how do you know you know that you're at burnout stage or certainly close to burnout stage. How do you spot those signs? What are those signs
1: i i I think they uh there are different signs but but one of them I think is sleeplessness um because it, there's that state of exhaustion which I think we're probably all familiar with yeah, yeah. where Been there. um uh, yeah, where our exhaustion actually prevents us from sleeping. It's as though some part of our mind stays awake while the rest of it <laughs> goes, get, goes in, into a kind of hibernation. And again, it's not a pleasant or a restful feeling at all. Um, it, it's, it's sort of, it, you know, it's like one nerve ending almost is, is, is awake in you and is preventing you from actually coming to a stop.
0: Um, and can you rest that part of your mind? I tell you, here's my little trick that I do. Mm. And, you know, although I love going out with my wife in the car because we have great chats, we're in the car, no matter where we happen to mm. be going, we just decide to mm. go somewhere and we just, and it doesn't matter how far we drive, we just sit in the car and we're talking as we're driving, right? Yeah. But but apart from that, the other thing I like to do as well is I have a PlayStation and I, and I play a game and because I'm not thinking about the news, which I'm thinking about all the time because I do two shows yeah. a day and I'm so I talk for five hours a day and because I'm not thinking about the news or thinking about what the government are doing today or what laws are being brought in tomorrow or what mm-hmm. show topic I'm talking about or who I'm going to be interviewing tonight, because I'm not thinking of that, I'm thinking of something completely different, I find it gives my brain a bit of a rest. I,
1: I think that is exactly the, the, the what you're talking about there is a uh, a kind of relief from two values which normally we put a high premium on, which are productivity and purpose. And yes, those are both good things when they're maintained in in the confines of the working day. What happens to us in our overworked, burnt-out culture is that productivity and purpose is the only thing that we think about. And one of the points I'm trying to make in not working is that there's a region of the mind that is actually geared to non-productivity, to a kind of pleasurable aimlessness. Mm -hmm. And we have come um, uh, altogether to devalue and denigrate aimlessness um, to lose our sense of meaning when it comes to um, not having something that has a determinate, identifiable aim. And actually, we need to do things mm. that it, it, you know perhaps don't have no purpose, but they have they they are their own end. You know, there's there's I've always felt there was something quite moving about. Taking up a musical instrument, yeah, um, particularly in later life, because you're never going to be able to do anything objectively productive with it, except enjoy it and perhaps have some other people enjoy it. You're not going to make a career of it. You haven't got, you haven't got a chance. You're not going to be a concert
0: (laughs) pianist at the age of seventy. No, (laughs) No. no, definitely not.
1: No, or even (laughs) forty. But, um, (laughs) but um, uh, you know, one thing that I like to do is word puzzles um yeah again they are kind of bracketing out of the world um of all the anxieties that press in on you um and they, i again i find them quite a good thing to do before bed because they they give the mind a workout but they don't um e- sort of exercise the anxiety muscles, if you like. They, yeah. they get I mean, the one rest. thing, the
0: one enemy we have, and I keep saying this to people, my enemy is time. And I have mm. so many things I like doing that I enjoy doing, but I just sometimes don't have the time to do them. And I don't know, is this constant focus on productivity, is that having an impact on children, relationships with our partners? You know, it, does it have a huge impact on that as well?
1: I think so. Um, I Uh, I mean, in my consulting room, I see a lot of parents who um, are beset on all sides by worries um, if they feel that their kids are somehow not being productive enough in the context of schooling, so they're not sort of attaining the kinds of levels of achievement that are going to get, get them into the best school in the area. Mm. Um, then they're not going to end up going to a, the best university. Then they're going to end up not getting the best middle class career. You know, there, there's a kind of chain, a domino effect of of anxiety that is all about imagining a productive or an unproductive, unachieving future. And and there's this way that achievement becomes, I think, a very persecutory value. And what we end up Stealing from children, if we're not careful in that in that culture, is childhood itself. Because in a way, when I talk about aimlessness, I'm also talking. You know, childhood is really where we learn aimlessness. Um, in childhood, when 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 you watch kids play, they don't really have aims or targets in mind. That um, there's something sort of um, pleasurable and, and a bit hypnotic about watching young kids play because they are just being together and and rubbing alongside each other. And uh, this is stuff. something
0: we talked about in our previous topic before you come on. Mm. We happen to be talking right. about you know, parenting 50 years ago and parenting now. Mm. You know, in right. my day when my mom stayed at home, my dad went to work and we spent more time with my with your parents. Whereas nowadays there's this feeling that we both have to have careers. We have to have two cars. We have to have a fancy holiday. We have to have Netflix. We have to have all those mm. trappings that keeps mm. a child happy when really all a child wants is the attention of a parent and the love of a parent. And are we failing in society to provide that because we're being overproductive or being trying to be too productive? Are we failing to provide yeah. for children properly?
1: I mean, we, we might be. I, I think we always have to be careful how we put this across to parents because if we tell parents that they're failing their children, then in a sense, you're exacerbating the feeling of burnout because you're exacerbating the guilt. Um, when, you, when you tell parents that, that they're failing because they're not spending enough time, then spending enough time with their kids <laughs> becomes another task to impose on the load of tasks, which is completely missing the point. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the point is not to turn spending a bit of time with your kids into one item on the to-do list. It's about actually cro- you know, sort of putting the to-do list aside and, and rediscovering the, the, the pleasure of sort of guilt-free time yeah. just hanging out with your kid. And, and that, I think, is something different from thinking of it as an obligation, as something you need to do. I think w- when parents get anxious that they need to spend more time with their kids, they spend, they they, they then sort of it, it create the, the wrong kind of quality of time, because it's all about sort of saying, mm. come on, we're going to do something nice. Um, we're going to do something fun together, which is generally... Um, a sentence that the children here I mean, dread. I mean, we we look
0: at the society we've built up now and I'm not going to go down some sort of conspiracy theory or mm. anything like that but it's almost like governments are delighted now that we have both men and women all out working. Uh, both parents are at work and we've, we've set up a lifestyle whereby a lot of them feel that they have to both work to afford the mortgage, yeah. to afford the holiday, the second car and the Netflix and whatever other toppings they might want to have in the home when realistically we don't really need that but we've been fooled into thinking that's the type of life. Lifestyle that we need now, isn't it yeah yeah
1: yeah absolutely i i, I think that w- w- one of the things that we're contending with is um a, a kind of consumer guilt almost you know mm. there is a, a, everything um from advertising to uh the 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 sort of conspicuous consumption of our friends and neighbors, everything around us really is, is telling us that we need to be buying more and creating more wealth to um, generate you know, more income to buy more stuff. Um, and um, it, it, it becomes so automatized in us that we, ha- we, we, we don't really think about whether this is something we actually want. We lose contact with our desire, Actually, with our with our sense, with our feeling for what we actually want from life,
0: and how how do we protest against this or stop this this I suppose vicious circle that's happening at the moment? And I, I suppose I should really ask, how do you live? I mean, do you manage to get it? Have you figured out the, the secret of getting out of this kind of mouse wheel?
1: Well, yes and no. I mean, no in the sense that I wrote this book from inside the problem i i don't i don't like books that sort of that that try and help you by sitting from an olympian height above other people's problems and saying hey i've got this all figured out all you have to do is be like me i think it's much more powerful in a way if you if you know what you're talking about from the inside yeah so um you know i i probably work um too long hours. I probably have too much to do. Um, and I struggle with all of the issues that I'm talking about. However, w- one thing that I have tried to do is, is recalibrate the, the, the values around the kinds of time that I spend. Um, and I, I've stopped thinking uh, of I, I've kind of abolished from my vocabulary the idea of unproductive time. Okay. I think if I feel the need or the wish to do something, which might be staring out of the window, eating ginger nuts, or it might be just I love a walking aimless. <laughs> right, me too. I can I can get through six in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, uh, you know, or, or just sort of. <clears throat> Strolling in the park with my head, headphones on, listening to my favourite album or symphony. Um, you know, those kinds of uh, activity that are just rooted to the pleasure of the moment. That yeah, doing nothing. To, yeah we almost, doing nothing.
0: Yeah, we, we almost feel guilty doing nothing. Don't we? You know, yeah. just you know, when you yeah. want to just sit there and vegetate for a few minutes, you almost feel guilty that I should have been using that time to do this or do X or do an hour's extra overtime or whatever it is. We almost yeah. feel guilty about from, from doing nothing. Well, we, we shouldn't it, feel guilty yeah. about it.
1: And and that's right. And there's 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 a kind of negative value connoted even in the term doing nothing, because actually when we're doing nothing, we're often not doing nothing, right? We we that the, the, there's there's all kinds of stuff that's kind of bubbling up when you're doing nothing you 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 enter a different um psychic state which which can be very recharging and, and interesting you make contact with yourself in a completely different way when you stop sort of looking to the external world asking yourself what it is you have to do or complete or produce next um uh You know, usually when you're in that kind of blind, active mode, you're not really listening very much to yourself. Mm. And I think, you know, when you stop listening to yourself altogether, that's when you start sort of edging towards burnout.
0: Yeah, myself and my wife have a name for doing nothing. We call it snagglepussing.
1: <laughs> no, I'm yeah. So, like it. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, it's just, it's kind of nothingness. You know, what we're doing? I oh, do no, I'm just snaggle pussing. Um, but, I mean, do those kind of, you know, moments when you're kind of doing nothing, and I know it's a negative thing to say, or snaggle mm. do those states of mind and the states of mind of burnout, et cetera, do they all show up differently on brain scans? I mean, is this proven science? Or I suppose it's just all hypotheses to some degree. Or, or do they show up on brain scans?
1: I, 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 um, I'm not aware of of um, any neurological research. Mm. Uh, it's 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 the, the problem is that it's very difficult to determine neurologically. It's very difficult to distinguish between different states of inactivity. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure that actually we've got MRIs that are sophisticated enough to make sort of really clear cut judgments yeah. about. What is a burnt out state of inactivity an and what is a restful state of inactivity? They would probably be very difficult to distinguish on a scan.
0: Yeah. And I suppose, again, people have to be careful <clears throat> of the physical aspect of it too. We know that burnout can be mental, but also you've got exhaustion. Where you literally yes, get absolutely. to the point where you you have to stop. Because if you don't stop, yeah. you're going to destroy your own health.
1: That's right. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, we're, we're living in an age, for example, um, of of a proliferation of autoimmune conditions, which I, I think is very much related to what we're talking about.
0: Okay. You know when yeah. And and we're we're seeing, by the way, in the last year, certainly a massive increase in what they call excess deaths. Uh, certainly, mm-hmm. in the last year, which which leads us to believe that well. A, during COVID nineteen, of course, a lot of people didn't get to go to the doctor and get the first signs yeah. or, or stages of, of maybe cancer determinations or whatever it is. But also, I think people are working harder. I think a lot more people are having heart mm. attacks. I think a lot more people are having strokes. Uh, I think a lot more people are, are dying for those reasons of maybe working a little yeah. bit too hard or doing too yeah. much, trying to do yeah, too much. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and without wanting to be too alarmist, of course, one of the great, uh, one of the major causes of death for young men is suicide. Yeah. And um, I, I, I do think that uh, there is often a link between the kind of hopelessness that comes from feeling that you just can't get on top of life, um, and uh, and you know the, the wish to end it all. That
0: that idea, and I know, it, unfortunately, we're seeing more and more women, young women, do it as well. But those numbers yeah. are rising, uh, and that's because we have a changed society where women are in careers too, and and, and quite dependent on their finances as well in some mm. cases. But but it, it's almost like it's built into the DNA of men, and I don't. You would know better about this than I would. But I almost mm. feel it's like in our DNA that we have this need to provide, and if we don't provide for our family and our children, and don't provide what they need, we feel we failed or we're failing in some way. Why why is that affecting, or why does it affect men more so than it affects women?
1: Yeah, I I, I think that um, men are uh boys rather are taught from a, a, a very early age or if they're not directly didactically taught they uh, absorb the the message that um they have to take on uh, a a provider role they um need to protect and and just generally take care uh of those around them And I think when they feel that they're failing in that regard, then they often get enveloped by shame. Um, I think, you know, shame has a very high, there's a very high correlation between shame and suicide as well, or between shame and self-harm. And I think um, uh, when men start to... Feel that they're not measuring up to this very punishing ideal of what they should be doing and providing and making for themselves for their families. Um, when they, particularly when they measure themselves against other men, they really get uh, caught in this in this sort of death spiral of shame.
0: Well, look, it's been a very interesting conversation. Maybe mm. we can have another conversation again. I'd love to about other aspects of it. Uh, and it must be a very interesting career, by the way, being a psychoanalyst. I, I often wonder: do psychoanalysts sit there when they're out for a meal with their mates, psychoanalysing everybody around? Them? <laughs> yeah, no, know.
1: It's, it's, it, we're, we're a bit, we're a bit like chefs, you know. When we're when we're off duty, you know, chef, when they're off duty, chefs just want an omelette. <laughs> yeah. we, we just want a nice, ordinary conversation yeah. for a change. But look, the book the
0: book sounds great. I'm sure it's available at all the usual places, Amazon and everywhere yeah. else. And it's yeah. called "Not Working: Why We Have to Stop," and it's by Josh. Cohen. Uh, Josh, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you very much. It's, it's been intriguing. Thank actually. you, sir. So Thank much. you very much indeed for speaking to us this evening. All
1: of us. Thank you.
0: Don't so forget, the book is called Not Working, We Have to Stop, and it's by Josh Cohen. Uh, very interesting book. All about how we burn ourselves out and we're not prioritizing everything and we're kind of overproductive sometimes and we shouldn't, we don't need to be and we're running ourselves into debt. Now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime Talk with Niall Boylan.
1: Ireland's classic hits radio.